Good morning, Living Hope Church. My name is Pastor Ed Mejia. I am the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church. And I just wanted to give you a quick update as to what's going on with Arizona, because I know we have been talking about moving in the fall, and a lot of you have asked, so what's up with the move? Are you guys ready to go? Are you excited? Yes, we are excited, but no, we're not ready to move yet. God in his mercy and his wisdom said, hey, there's a couple things we want you to work on. So we have extended the residency to the end of the year, which is a great thing because we love Living Hope Church. Let me just put that out there. We love Living Hope Church. Come on, give it up because you guys are awesome. We really do love you guys. Today we're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus, the stories of the kingdom. We're actually in Luke chapter 11, five verses, 5, verses 5 through 13, excuse me. A few years ago, there was a show, uh, a, a game show that was super popular, I know many of you remember it, called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do you remember that show? The show, the premise of the show is that they would have trivia questions, and every question you answered, you would make more money on the question, but the harder the question the more the money, or the more the money, the harder the question. And I remember watching it, and, and they would always get stuck on certain questions, right? And they would have what they call lifelines, where they got three options that can help them out. We can ask the audience, and the audience can help you figure out the answer. Or they would do the 50-50 the thing, because it was multiple choice, so they would take away two of the wrong answers, and you would have a 50-50 chance to get it right. Or you would have the phone a friend. You remember the phone a friend? They would literally call a friend on the show and ask them, hey, do you know which scientific unit is named after an Italian nobleman? Now, every time they would get stuck on that question and they would call a friend, you know, they would usually try to call their smartest friend, the friend who's a scientist, who's some engineer or a school teacher or historian, like somebody who knows the answer. And I would be watching it saying, which one of my friends would help me in that situation? And I started thinking, and I realized none of them would be able to help me. And that's when I knew I needed new friends. That's the day I knew I, I needed a whole new set of friends. Just kidding. They're all, I love you guys. Anyway. But, but isn't it true that it's a blessing to have friends when we're stuck? When we don't have the answer. When we don't know how to move forward through troubles and trials. It's good to know you have a friend you can count on, a friend that can help. And today, we're looking at a friend at midnight. In our text today, Jesus uses a story about two friends to teach us about prayer and the heart of God. You, you've probably heard this analogy before that said that prayer is like breathing, right? It's, it's so important. It's vital for every believer to have a healthy prayer life. But just like breathing, we don't breathe the same in everything we do. Craig runs Iron Man. I know the way he breathes as he's in an Iron Man is not the same as when he's reading a book, right? There's more intensity and intentionality and focus in how you breathe for the task that you're doing. In fact, you guys know I'm a big boxing fan, I'm a fight fan. They actually teach you that you have to learn how to breathe as you punch. That's why when you hear them go, they're breathing because if, if they don't know how to breathe, I'm going to tell you right now, that'll tell you if it's going to be a short fight or a long fight. And it's the same thing in prayer. Some things are easier to pray about. 
But then there's some times that we have to pray with intentionality and focus and persistence. And for that, just like you need to learn how to breathe in the intensity, we also need to learn how to pray when life gets difficult and intense. And so here, we're going to dive into a text where, where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And we're in the book of Luke, so let me just give you a backdrop to, to where we are. Luke's gospel documents the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as well as the sending of the disciples into the world. And in our chapter today, chapter 11, Luke takes us behind the scenes and into the classroom with Jesus and his disciples as he's teaching them the ways of the kingdom. And he's doing this in preparation to send them out as messengers of the gospel. So he's basically preparing them, teaching them for the task that will come, the going out with the carrying of the gospel. And so in Luke 11, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't think they didn't know how to pray because they asked specifically. They say, Lord, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. What, what they were really asking was, Lord, teach us to pray like you. Jesus, teach me to pray like you. What an awesome request, don't you think? May the Lord help us today to pray like Jesus, that we may learn to pray the way he does. And so Jesus proceeds in this chapter to, to teach them the Lord's prayer, and then he transitions to the parable that we're looking at today. And, and as you can see on the screen, our big idea is simply this. Kids, mom, dad, singles, adults, how we see God changes how we pray. Our prayer life is shaped by our view of God. And, and this is important for us to know this morning. It's a simple idea, but it's super essential because we are often distracted by many things. I'm going to give you four quick reasons why we need to get this deep into our bones today. Distraction is a thing. We often get distracted with the busyness of life, and we lose sight of the power and the priority of prayer in our lives. And the truth is, before we lose sight of the priority of prayer, we've already lost sight of God. The second reason is this. Fear strikes often in our world. Sometimes we get discouraged from praying because we carry the guilt and the shame of our own sin, and we fear drawing near to God. We fear rejection. We fear that, that God won't look or accept us or draw us in, that he won't love on us because of our mistakes, mainly because we stopped looking at him and started looking at ourselves, our failures, our sins, our capacity, our brokenness. Pride is another reason why we won't pray, huh? Isn't it true that we quit praying about some things for two reasons? One, we actually think we can handle things without prayer. And the second reason we often stop praying is because in our impatience at times, we believe prayer isn't making a difference at all. So we either say, I'm going to do this myself, or you know what, God, this isn't even working. How about doubt? In times of suffering, Satan is quick to whisper in the ears of the people of God and says that God doesn't hear us or he doesn't care. And we doubt that God will do anything. 
And family, in our text, Jesus wants us to set our eyes on him. He sets the record straight on prayer this morning so we can learn. We're going to see how our view of God, how we see him with clarity, will change the way we pray, will inspire the way we pray, will, will help us to develop in the way we pray. So read with me in Luke 11. We're going to read verses 5 through 13. If you have the blue Bibles that were in the back, it's page 869 on your right side. Let's read together. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. With gratitude, Father, in all of your goodness, and we pray you would open our eyes, ears, our hearts, Lord, to receive your word, that it would take root and bear fruit, Father. Help us to, to clean out our eyes, Father. Give us new eyes, fresh eyes today, Father. We must see the beauty of who you are, and that, Father, we would walk away with greater confidence and greater hope and greater faith in you. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so here's our outline this morning. Kids, if you're following along with your culinary page in the back side of it, we do have a fill in the blank that we'll hit on every point. And so here is the way that we're changed in our prayer. I'm going to start with that, but then I'm going to show you how the way we see God brings us to pray this way. Okay, so here is our outline. We're going to learn how to pray persistently in verses 5 through 8. In verses 9 through 10, we're going to learn how to pray personally and finally, in verses 11 through 13, we're going to learn how to pray peacefully. So let's, let's look at verses 5 through 8 again to see how we can learn to pray persistently. And I'm going to read it again. He says, And it said to him, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus invites the disciples in this parable to imagine that they had a friend that they can go to at midnight, asking for three loaves because they have another friend arriving from a journey, and he, they have nothing to serve him. Now, anyone... Anyone ever have that neighbor that always wants to borrow an egg or some sugar or, you know, a little tool here and there or maybe some money? Sure, right? But not in the middle of the night. Now, this is, is a very important detail because in Palestinian culture, it's an embarrassing situation to be in. 
To have a guest and not have something to offer them was considered rude, it was considered wrong, it was unthinkable. Now, the friend in the house answers this. He says, he hears the knock, hey, I need some loaves. And he goes, hey man, don't bother me. The door is shut and my kids are sleeping in bed with me, please. I cannot get up and give you anything. In other words, he has the loaves. <laughs> He's not trying to get up though, right? He knocked and says, hey, can I have three loaves? It would have ended here. Hey man, I don't got none. I don't have any. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, I, everybody's in bed, man. I mean, I got the lows, but everybody's in bed. And, and here's the thing. In these homes, the family would take, typically sleep in one room, often in one mat, right? The father would literally have to kind of like sneak out from under his kids, away from the wife, hop over some heads just to open the door. Mom and dad, if you ever had to, remember when we were teaching them to sleep and to stay in their room? Getting out of that room was a mission, right? It was like, like diffusing a bomb trying to get out not to wake up a baby, right? And so, so he's like, he's not trying to get up. And, and look, many of us would get up and out of bed for an emergency. I would. Somebody comes knocking on the door and they're in crisis, they need help, like, sure. But for loaves... I don't know. I think any one of us would be upset. <laughs> and so Jesus says, listen, I love that Jesus says this, that, that he won't get up because he is his friend. I found that hilarious because it was like, Jesus was like, that dude probably doesn't even want to be your friend no more. This is so inconvenient, inconveniencing. But because of his impudence, he will do it. What is that word impudence? Well, it's kind of hard to translate from the original language because it, it, it's a, a, a combination of ideas. It, it, it includes boldness or persistence, and, and, and some translators translate it as shamelessness, meaning they have no regard for what is right in the moment. Uh, that, that kind of like shamelessness that doesn't really care what anyone thinks. I remember maybe a couple years back, remember when there were stink bugs everywhere, all over PA? It's probably the most annoying thing ever, right? It was especially annoying in our house because all my kids hate bugs. Now, let me reiterate, I have a, a, a nine, an 11-year-old, and, and a 20-year-old at home, okay? And it never failed. That summer, my nine-year-old would bust in, Dad, there's a stink bug, of course, while I'm already in bed, right? Dad, there's a stink bug, could you get it out? I get up, I get it from my nine-year-old, I get it, you're nine. My 11-year-old pops in, does the same thing. Okay, I get it, you're 11. My 20-year-old is almost six feet tall, and he was busting in that room with no shame. Dad, there's, there's a stink bug in my room, Dad. And I'm like, you can get it out, Dad, please. Like, okay, right? Like, but, but he didn't care what I thought. He didn't care at all that he's a grown man and needs help with a stink bug. And that's the kind of shamelessness we're talking about here. That I don't care what anybody thinks, I need help. And so think about this, in our story, because of that friend outside's annoying and shameless persistence, the friend in the house will get him what he needs. And this leads to our first point this morning. We are to pray persistently because Jesus is our friend. 
See, the point he's making in this story is that if even a human being will respond to his neighbor this way, then we should go boldly to God with any need at any time, no matter what, and even if. Why? Because God is more gracious and caring than any friend and human neighbor. And I got to ask you this morning, we sang a couple songs where we said, man, you're a friend. Do you view God as your friend? Do you talk to him like he's your friend? John 15, 5, Jesus calls his disciples friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing. He says, if you do what I tell you, if you obey my commands, you are my friend. James says, the book of James tells us about Abraham, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Proverbs tells us of of, of the power of friendship, that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Praise God for the greatest friend you and I could ever have in Jesus. And why is he greater? He's greater because he's not only the friend who will get up in the middle of the night to give you loaves. He's greater because he would step down from his throne. He would come to live a perfectly righteous life in your place. Lay down his life on a cross so that the Father in heaven would judge the sin of humanity that belongs to you and I. He would would die on a cross and on the third day rise again to give us new life, to bring us to the Father. Not just loaves. In fact, if you want to do a play on words, he's the bread of life, isn't he? He came to give us more than just loaves. He is a greater friend than the one in the story. Amen? And so the question is, how is our prayer life shaped by who God is? And I ask you again, do you see him as friend? Do you struggle to ask for help? Do you think it's an embarrassing thing to ask for help? Do you feel like he gets annoyed by your prayer request? Or how about this? Let's get more more, more specific. When you keep falling into the same sin, do you think he's irritated with you? Do you think he's just looking at you like one big disappointment? Kids, do you think God gets mad at you? Listen to me, I have good news. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the the wrath of God is satisfied. He is not and will not be mad at you. When you put your faith, when you put your trust in what Christ has done, he calls you friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. See, he died for us even when we were his enemies. See, they were friends in this story. In our story, we started off as enemies of God. And Jesus has made us right with God. So so church... Pray boldly. Pray persistently. 
Because you have a friend who's faithful. You have a friend who's there for you who can do something about it. So pray for your wayward kids. Pray shamelessly for your marriage. Pray persistently for wisdom, for your future goals and plans, and never, ever give up. Friends are persistent with each other. You know, my grandma, she's 89 years old. She was the first in our family to, to, to come to Christ, a Baptist missionary, went to Honduras, preached the gospel, changed her forever. She had six kids, and those kids have had kids, and some of those kids have had kids now. And she never fails. She asked my wife. When she sees us, she's like, you know, I'm always praying for you. And she would tell us that every Monday, she has a list of all the names of our, like, family members. Every Monday, she would pray for them. She's like, it's Monday. I've been praying for you. And here's the crazy thing. She was literally the only believer in our family. But praise God through her persistence in prayer, all her kids have come to faith. And the crazy thing is, because of her persistence that still goes on to this day, the generation after them, some of them have come to Christ. And the craziest part of all is that her great-grandkids got baptized not even a year ago. Because of her persistence in prayer, she's been able to do something generationally. God wants us to persist. Don't give up. Don't you stop praying. Don't you let go. doesn't matter what you see. It, look, here's the crazy thing. He came to his friend at midnight for something that was his own fault. He should have been prepared. He should have had loaves, extra loaves set apart. And yet, in that situation, he came to God. So mom and dad, if you feel like I've messed up in my parenting and I'm going to pray that God would save my kid when I'm the one who messed it up, listen to me. The Bible tells us we got to persist. Come shamelessly. Because our sin problem has been dealt with in the cross, we can come to Christ exactly as we are, broken and insecure and unsure, and ask for what we need. And he is faithful. He's a good friend who will not shame you, but will open the door and get you what you need. Let's look at verses 9 through 10. Because Jesus is going to continue encouraging his disciples to not only be persistent, but to also be up close and personal. Let's read it. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Here's our second point. Pray personally because God is faithful. That's the blank in the second one, guys. God is faithful. Jesus says we should personally ask for what we need, personally seek, personally knock. How do I know that? He says if you do, it will be given to you. I thank God for a praying mom and a praying grandma, but God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear your voice, kids. Why? Because God is eager to show you how faithful he actually is. Listen, he wouldn't tell you to ask if he wouldn't respond, right? Only a fool would seek something that could never be found. No one knocks on the door when nobody's home. By this, Jesus is telling us that we ought to pray because he's faithful and available to us. Didn't the psalmist David said, though my mom and my dad forsake me, you will bear me up? Didn't he tell us he would never leave us nor forsake us? When you knock on the door, somebody will be there. He won't ignore your calls. He, he won't leave your text message unread. 
Psalms 46.1 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Also note this. Asking, seeking, and knocking are three verbs that emphasize the same thing. Prayer. All three terms are all present imperatives, which is just a big word for saying that we should continually do this. We should make this a habit of life, a part of our lives. We're to make prayer central to our lives because when we do, we get to see God do amazing things. Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Let me remix that for us, right? You miss 100 opportunities to see God move in your life when you don't pray. Consider that for a minute. That God is ready and willing and eager to show you how he's moving and doing things in your life. God wants to show us. You know, I, I remember I was reading a book on spiritual disciplines. can't remember the name right now, but I remember one of the things he was talking about was journaling. I had never journaled in my life, right? And, and, and he encouraged to not just journal your day and process what God said and what God's been doing in you. He says, journal your prayers. And so I did that for like 30 days because I just really felt like, you know, try this out. And, and here's the bizarre thing. I got to see God answer so many prayers. But here's what, I, what really messed me up is that God's been doing that. Just that I never actually stopped to remember what I actually prayed. Isn't that crazy? We pray for months and then God answers. Things work out and we're on to the next prayer list. On to the next prayer request instead of stopping for a minute and recognizing that God has been trying to show you his goodness. I challenge you for the next 30 days, do it yourself. Journal your prayers. Journal it. And after 30 days, go back and let it fuel your heart with confidence that God wants to show you how good he is. That God wants to show you his mercy and favor. That God wants to show you how he's moving in your family members' lives. And here's the promise Jesus is making. That if we ask, it will be given. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be open. But is this promise only for those who are persistent? Is, is that what Jesus is saying? Is this promise only for those who keep knocking or keep doing this? Or, or maybe this is for those who are perfect in prayer. Or, or maybe those who have a good track record, who pray every day. Or is it based on quantity? Is it based on my performance? Not at all. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, for everyone, everyone who seeks, who asks, will be given. Who seeks, will find. Who knocks, it will be open. Now, the Bible's clear you can ask for whatever you want. But that does not guarantee you will receive whatever you want. God is wiser than we are. He's, his ways are higher than ours. In the Psalms, we read that his ways are perfect. And listen to me, God cares for you. Mom, Dad, you know that giving you ki your kids all that they want can be destructive. My kids are not going to like this point, but it's true. It's so true. When, when, when Halloween comes around, they got a big old bag of candy and they want to run through that entire bag. We got to say no, because it'll lead to bellyache and cavities and a whole bunch of things. 
I'll tell you, Elijah just you know, had a birthday not too long ago, and, and we got him a, a PS5. And I just knew I better leave that thing in the living room. Because if I put that thing in his room, I may never see him again. A father knows that even good things can be damaging if there aren't any restrictions or boundaries. And, and God is far wiser than us. God knows far greater than we do. But here's the invitation. He says, pray personally. Because I'm faithful and I'm available is what God is saying. And, and, and he will hear you when you call. He will never leave you high and dry. And if, listen, if you're here and, and you're on the fence with Jesus... Right now, this friendship stuff seems kind of foreign to you because it's been a long time since you've walked with him. I plead with you. Knock. Knock on his gates for mercy. Because it's for this very reason he came. This is the very reason why he died and rose again to, to, to show you you can trust him as Savior, to show you his love and goodness, to show you a far greater life than you've ever imagined. God will answer the call. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Simply start by asking him to show you how real he is. Be persistent. He's faithful. Now, in these final verses, verses 11 through 13, Jesus reveals to us the heart of God, the Father, towards his children. Let's read verses 11 and 13. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This final example is, is set up like an argument from, from lesser to greater. Jesus is asking the question, what father do you know? <laughs> Would give his kid a cobra when the kid asks for a Lunchable. Like, who would do that? Who would give their kid a scorpion if he just asked for Fruit Loops? Jesus is saying a good father gives his children good things, life-giving things, things that will help the child to grow, to flourish. Only an evil father would give their kids something that would endanger them. And so Jesus gets specific. He says that even though we are evil, he says even though you are evil, even though you were born in sin, lesser than God in every way, even you know that's not right. And now he points us to the greater. He says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying that our Heavenly Father wouldn't only give us good things, but he would give us the most important of all, the gift of God the Holy Spirit. And this leads to our third and final point. You and I can pray peacefully because God is a good Father. And when I say peacefully, I want you to think about how many times we pray anxiously. Sometimes we pray in, in, in anxiety that I don't know how this is going to work out. I ask God and I hope it goes the right way. No, you can pray with peace in your heart. Because you have a good father who wants good things for you. And because he's a good father who loves his children, we can trust he has the best, our best interests in mind. 
think of this. Listen to this sentence. Your Father in heaven is the sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent ruler of the entire universe. That's your dad. Kids, your Father in heaven controls all things, knows all things, can do all things, and he is the most, the, 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 this is going to sound terrible, the goodest dad ever. You get what I'm saying, though. That's your dad. And the reason I say we can pray peacefully is because there's been times where, where, because I'm seeking out the good of Elijah, for example, my son, he'll ask me certain things, and I say, no, son, we have to wait. No, son, we have to wait. No, son, no, son, no, son. He'll give me this look sometimes and be like, Dad, I want to ask you something, but I know what you're going to say. We do that with God sometimes, too. We try to think for God. <laughs> no. Yes, he, he's a good father, and, and yes, he will answer yes and no and not yet. That is true. But don't let that stop you from asking. Don't let that stop you from drawing near to your father for what you need. Family, we can pray peacefully, unashamed, unafraid, because God's responses uh, uh, to our prayers always go through his wisdom and his goodness and his love for us. I like how Tim Keller said this. <laughs> God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Isn't that true? And here once again, let me wrap this up. We see the beauty of the Trinity even in our prayer life. Here the Son is sent to teach us to pray, and by his work on the cross, by redeeming us, he brings us to the Father who adopts us and now hears our prayers. And this same Father loves us so much that he gives us the Holy Spirit who helps us to remember Jesus and empowers us to believe and pray. The whole Godhead is invested in your prayer life. Family, what is the state of your prayer life these days? Life is not going to get any less busier, right? And I like how Corey Ten Boom, she asked a powerful question. Listen to this. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer... Your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is, is prayer lacking joy for you these days? Does it just feel like maintenance? Like maintenance prayers? You know what I mean by maintenance prayers, right? Like you're running late and you're praying on the way. God, bless my way. Please protect my family. Please bless me. Bless my family. Bless my friends, you know. Or are you encountering your friend and faithful father in heaven? I'm going to invite the worship team to come right back up. Church, how we see God changes how we pray. I'm often convicted every time. I got to tell you, every time I, I preach on prayer, I am like dying a thousand deaths even as I'm writing it. Because, yes, every time you hear we're talking about prayer, what's the first thing you think? I need to pray more. Right? <laughs> but listen to me. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage isn't to convict you because you're not praying enough. Jesus wasn't emphasizing how many times you should pray. He doesn't even tell us a number. 
Because he's showing us that it's not about quantity in prayer, but our quality of relationship with God. That that's what fuels prayer. That knowing that he's your friend and faithful father inspires something in you to continue to come to him in joy and believing that God can and will do amazing things because he is that good. Jesus is reminding us to behold God. He wants the truth of God to stir our heart's affection for him. He's more concerned with us seeing God for who he is. Spurgeon would say like this, friends. Christian, look up then and rejoice. There is always an open ear if you have an open mouth. There's always a ready hand if you have a ready heart. Would you stand with me this morning? As we sing to our God who is a good father, good friend, and he wants to hear your voice, sing to him, share your heart with him, and trust that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Let's sing.